it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Fox Across America. I'm Sean Duffy in for the great Jimmy Fallon, who's off, uh, probably trying to get a long Fourth of July weekend. So I get the honor and privilege of sitting in his studio, which looks like my sixth grade bedroom with Star Wars and G.I. Joes and sports jerseys and whatnot. Uh, it's great to be here with you. As everyone is thinking about Fourth of July July weekend, you're putting together your your travel list, uh, your grocery list for your Fourth of July cookout. Maybe some of you are packing up the car, going to see relatives and friends on the way to the airport, uh, hoping your flight will take off today to go uh, back home to someone somewhere more beautiful than where you are right now, which is what I'm going to do tonight. I'm flying back to the great state of Wisconsin, uh, up to Hayward on beautiful Round Lake, where I get to hang out with my my family, except for my wife, who's working all weekend. Um, again, uh, it's an exciting time because this is family, this is friends. But as we sit here today, I think so many of us look at where the country is at. And I'm not going to bring you down on the 4th of July. I'm going to give you the bad, and then I'm going to give you the good, so stick with me. But so many people look at where we're at and think things aren't going great. 85% of Americans... Um, are saying that the country is going in the wrong direction. A new Fox, uh, not a new Fox News poll, but a new uh, poll that came out uh, from Gallup says that only 38% of U.S. adults who uh, who were polled said they are extremely proud of America. That's down from an average of 55%. This poll started uh, being taken in uh, 2001. So people are less proud to be Americans right now. And again, you ask yourself, well, well, why? Why are Americans depressed? Why are they frustrated? Well, it's pretty easy, right? We look at you know crime in our streets. We have open borders where there's no controls of, uh, of the southern border. Anyone who wants to come into our country, they just come to the border, get processed, and at taxpayer expense, get shipped around the country to whatever community, whatever state they want to go to. Our gas prices are unaffordable, around $5-plus a gallon, filling up an SUV, filling up your... Your minivan has become uh, a painful event under Joe Biden's America. Inflation, going to the grocery store. Uh, our economists will tell us that our prices are up by 12%. I would say no way. I, I have nine kids. A couple of them are out of the house, so I'm shopping for, for nine people. And I would tell you that grocery prices are up, I don't know, 40 50%. It's really expensive uh, when you're at the grocery store shopping. It's more than 12%. And we also have an ineffective government. If you're flying this weekend or you're watching the news, you see that so many airline flights are canceled. We still have baby formula shortages. We look to our schools and realize that our kids aren't being taught math and science and English and history. They're being taught CRT or they're being indoctrinated with transgenderism. And so there's a lot of frustration in America as we're going into this 4th of July weekend. There's a lot of anger. Um, and I guess as I look at this, yeah, it's a little bit depressing, but I, I'm, a, I'm hopeful. I think the, the sun is rising on this great country, and I think we have to focus on some of the great things that have been happening over uh, the last uh, several weeks. And I'm going to start off with, number one, that we have a Supreme Court that recognized that nowhere in the Constitution does it say there is 
uh, a constitutional right to abortion. And yes, we've had the, the left and the left-wing media lie about what the Supreme Court did. They actually believe in democracy. They said, you know what? We're not going to mandate this from the court, nine justices. We're going to send this issue back to the states and let every state, every member, every voting citizen of every state vote to decide what they want their abortion rights to look like. And in New York and California, probably New Jersey and Massachusetts, you'll have late-term partial birth abortion. But maybe in South Dakota and Mississippi and Texas, there will be restrictions that value life at conception. And again, that's what democracy looks like. People get a debate, they get to argue, and then they get a vote on really important issues. That is a win for America that we have to recognize as we go into this 4th of July weekend. We have the e, uh, the EPA that has overstepped its uh, constitutional authority, in essence trying to mandate through rules and regulations that we transform our energy from from coal to, to natural gas to then green energy. And the cost of this we're experiencing today, whether it's um, in, our, in our gas tanks, but also when we heat our homes, prices of fuel have gone up because the EPA has had very restrictive rules around emissions. And as a former member of Congress, I served for almost nine years. That authority was never given to the EPA. They were creative in, in allowing themselves to make these rules. And the Supreme Court Thank God stepped in and said, no, 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 you can't you can't actually do major overhauls of the American economy without explicit congressional authority, which, by the way, they didn't give you. Um, Or, by the way, Congress should actually do this themselves, because if America's angry about what's happening with regard with with regard to energy prices, they want to be able to petition their government. And they do that through their president, their their congressman or their senator. How do you petition the EPA? The American people don't have a voice in what's happening in regard to American energy. You have a bunch of deep state woke liberals in the EPA that are changing policy that impact our lives. And the Supreme Court said, nah, that doesn't work. Um, If you want to do this, get authority from the Congress or better yet, go to the Congress themselves and let them implement those rules. But you can't do this when you don't have explicit authority. So, again, another win Uh, from the Supreme Court in regard to massive overreach from the EPA. I think we have to look at what's happened in southern Texas. Uh, You have Myra Flores, uh, a Mexican-born immigrant. She came to the country. I think she was six years old. Uh, Her husband is a Border Patrol agent. She ran for Congress in a district that hadn't voted for a Republican member of Congress in over 100 years. And she ran on God and guns and country and secure borders, and she won. And I think it shows that um, whether you're white, black, brown, I don't care what your color is, you care about America and you want America to enforce its rules um, and enforce its borders. Myra Flores uh, is a bright spot in a majority Hispanic district that sees that the Democrat Party has left them. Again, it's, it's, it is the border, but it's also inflation. It's also gas prices. It's the crime that's inflicted their communities. And so Myra Flores, her victory also underscores the point that Joe Biden has an approval rating with the Hispanic community of 24 percent. Of any subcategory of American, the Hispanic community has the lowest favorability for Joe Biden, 24 percent. And this is important because Joe Biden 
uh, runs, Democrats run on this coalition with the majority of Hispanics voting for Democrats. Well, if that changes in America, all of a sudden Democrats have problems in Texas, Nevada, uh, uh, Arizona. They have problems even in states like Virginia. If if Hispanics say, you know what, we're going to go, we're going to vote for people who actually like us and implement policies that are good for our families. But not only that, you've had one million voters in America change their voter ID, their voter registration uh, to Republican. That's important because I think a lot of voters actually don't do that. They just wait till election time and they'll and they'll pick their Republican or Democrat voter registration so that if you had a million voters change their registration, that means that far more voters are actually looking at the Republican Party, trying to bring some common sense back to um, politics and, and, and to America through their Congress and through their Senate. You know, uh, again, I think as we look at where we're at and how off-base Democrats have gotten, 85 percent of this country believes that this country is going in the wrong direction. It's important to know that our founders were brilliant. They, they gave senators six-year terms. A third of the Senate is up every two years. So this November, only a third of the Senate is up. And the map is not great for Republicans, but the politics are horrible for Democrats. It looks like Republicans can actually win the Senate this November. But they were brilliant in how they set up the House. The House, the whole House is up every two years. And so if America doesn't like the direction a certain party or a certain Congress is taking the country, they only have two years with that Congress. And then they go back to the polls and have a chance to do a redo. And I think as we look to this November, you're going to see America's do a redo and try to bring us back to center, bring us back to balance, bring us back to common sense, where we can get our gas prices down, our inflation down, our border secure. We can start to support law enforcement uh, to, to put bad people in jail. We'll start to vote for prosecutors who actually believe in forcing the law that they should actually have policies that support victims, not policies that support criminals. Again, on this 4th of July... Some of us can get a bit depressed. Some of us can get a bit frustrated. But I think it's important as we come into this great weekend with our friends and our family and our cookouts, and again, we see it firsthand how expensive it's going to be, we should remember that our founders were so smart in setting us up in a way that we can change the direction of the country, and November is only a few months away. All right. Uh, I want to talk. I mentioned this, Myra Flores. Uh, I've got my next guest who who is really smart. She's really beautiful. She's a mom of a lot of kids, and I can say that because she's my wife. Uh, after this break, I'm going to come back with Rachel Campo Stuffy. She wrote a great article on Myra Flores and the swearing-in ceremony that, uh, that now Congressman Flores had with Nancy Pelosi and how Nancy Pelosi treated uh, the new congresswoman's children at that swearing-in. We'll be back shortly at Fox Across America. Again, I'm Sean Duffy and for Jimmy Fallon. You're listening to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It's like it's a it's a game changer. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Welcome back to Fox Across America. I'm Sean Duffy in for Jimmy Fela. Now, many of you have seen this special election down in South Texas, a race where Republicans haven't won in over 100 years. 
And miraculously, uh, a young Latina woman uh, born in Mexico, migrated at six years old with, with her parents to the United States, ran as a Republican. Her husband is a Border Patrol agent. Uh, and as she was sworn in this week uh, to the U.S. Congress, which, which by the way, is a, a, an amazing honor for the first time to be sworn in. I remember I did it with Nancy Pelosi back in 2011. I had my kids there and my wife there. It is an amazing honor. Uh, many of you probably have seen that video, but uh, as they were going through the swearing in and then the picture after, uh, Nancy Pelosi had one of Myra Flores' children right next to her and pushed her away with her elbow, nudged her away, and the little girl, Myra's daughter, came right back in and continued her stance by Nancy Pelosi, uh, one of, uh, or not one of, the hottest talent on Fox News um, and a mother of nine. And I can say that because she is my wife, the lovely Rachel Campostuffi joins me right now. She wrote a great article about this. Uh, if you don't know, uh, Rachel is of Mexican descent, which means all of our kids are of Mexican descent and had, had some thoughts on what Democrats actually think of the Hispanic community. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Thank you. And since you're married to me, you won't get reported to HR for that comment. (laughs) I hope not. I think I can say that. Uh, And if I didn't say that, I mean, right, there's probably something wrong with our marriage. But listen, I I know that you, because we saw this at home together, you you, you saw the video and were absolutely outraged. Give us your take. So it's been funny because ever since this video footage came out, the, you know, Pelosi team has been trying to, you know, really – say no no it wasn't that's it's not what you think you saw she wasn't and they're putting out footage of nancy pelosi trying to you know moments that they had where she was kinder to the family but when she thought no one was looking uh, this is what she did and if you haven't seen the tape you absolutely should go online and see it it is undeniable um the tape is there and she elbows the little girl and the little girl um, is unfazed, and I love it because I think, Sean, it's such a sign of she's teaching us what it means to be in America. We don't bow to kings, and we don't bow to Queen Pelosi. Um, that little girl knew her mama won that election, and she stood her ground right where she belongs in that photo that, by the way, you and I have been in that situation with the Speaker of the House, um, Boehner, um, and Paul Ryan, who were much nicer to our kids in those moments. Um, and our kids were a lot less well-behaved than the florist children. Uh, but I love that not just with the little girl, that she stood her ground and she wasn't unfazed by it, but that Myra Flores, on her very first day in Congress, when she, she was on the other side, she didn't see that mm-hmm. until later. And when she saw it, on her first day in Congress, to the most powerful woman in the U.S. Congress, She called her out on it, and I just thought, wow, this is a moment, Um, and on so many levels, because one, we saw what Nancy Pelosi really thinks of Hispanics who aren't obedient, who, um, you know, don't play into her, um, you know, the narrative of the left and and choose to think independently. That's what um, uh, Nancy Pelosi thinks of them and their kids and their family on such a historic moment, and it was a historic moment for her. And two... Um, I think it's emblematic of of this pushback. You know, there's a reason why Nancy is unhappy. As you mentioned, Sean, they haven't won that seat for over 100 years. Um, uh, The the Democrats have had it for 100 years. Now this, you know, uh, firstborn in Mexico, you know, member has taken over this seat. This is striking fear in the hearts of um, 
of the Democrat Party because they cannot afford to lose the Mexican-American vote. They, you know, Republicans have had some luck with Venezuelans and Cubans and Central Americans who've had an experience with socialism and communism. But Hispanics, who are 60 percent of all Hispanics in the country, over 60 percent, they have been reliable Democrats. And this is the first time what you're seeing with Myra, what happened in the 2020 election with um, Donald Trump in 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 South Texas, um, those seats turning red. This is a movement. And right now, as you know, Sean, there is no demographic that is more unhappy with the Biden um, administration, with um, with the America that Biden is turning it us into than Hispanics. And so I think Hispanics are standing up and they're saying we don't like this and we're going to go somewhere else. And that's what Nancy's afraid of. That's why she's mad. As you listen to this radio program, you can see what it's like in my house. Uh, I ask a question, and I get the I, I get what Rachel really thinks. But, but listen, I, I think you're spot on, Rachel, because even when you look at the way that Nancy Pelosi treated Myra Flores' family, you look at the way Democrats are treating uh, Justice Clarence Thomas. They want America to believe that they're all about minority rights and supporting minority rights. Well, it becomes ultimately really clear that they're not about actual minorities. They're about minorities that will vote for them. This is about a, you know, a voting block for them. And if that block cracks at all, they viciously attack people um, who aren't with them and their liberal, progressive, radical Marxist movement. And again, if you're someone who believes in, in supporting all minorities, whatever their thought process is, no matter what political persuasion they are, you should respect a new member of Congress, an immigrant from Mexico, and her children. You should respect Clarence Thomas, but Rachel, they don't. No, they only like minorities when they can control us. Um, they they only want um, to help us in, in a way that increases dependency. They want to throw us crumbs off the government table. Um, they want us dependent on them. And, you know, there, there was another thing I think that really irks um, Nancy Pelosi and having to swear in this family. And that is that Myra is married to a border patrol agent. And a lot of people don't yeah. realize if you live in the Southwest, you know, it. true because there's just no denying it, but it's an over 50% Hispanic force. So when you, they try and say that the border patrol is racist and all this kind of stuff, it doesn't even stand up to, to the facts. They're, they're a majority is, Hispanic, Rachel. You're absolutely right. Yes, Listen. that's right. It's a majority minority Hispanic force. force. And her husband is a Border Patrol agent. And Myra Flores is, is make no mistake, she is going to be the loudest Rachel, and most credible voice gotta, on the border. I got to jump in. The only time Hispanic I can interrupt woman. you, honey, is when we have sure. a hard break on radio. I love got you. It. Thanks for joining me. We'll be back with Fox Across America shortly. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Fox Across America. Sean Duffy here in for Jimmy Fallon. So 
We all know one week ago today, the Supreme Court came out and overturned Roe v. Wade. The left has lost their mind over the last week, going crazy, thinking that abortion rights are gone in America. Well, that's actually not what the court did. The court said, you know what, there's not a constitutional right as laid out in Roe v. Wade because abortion was never mentioned in the Constitution. So if we take that away, Roe v. Wade away, we're able to send this issue back to states. And if we send it back to states, we let people vote. It's democracy in action, actually people debating, as I mentioned earlier, arguing, and then going to the ballot box and voting for representatives uh, who will take their interests to the floors of the chambers in their states. And they may have, like probably in New York or or L.A., um, New York or, or California, I should say, late-term partial birth abortion. Other states will limit. Some will ban abortion. But that's the way our founders envisioned democracy working, people having a say in issues like abortion in their states. So I want to bring in someone who actually has uh, worked on the court. Uh, Carrie Severino was a law clerk for Justice Clarence Thomas, but now she's at the Judicial Crisis Network uh, where she's the president. Carrie, thanks for joining me on Fox Across America. Great to be here. Yeah, so just I, I want, give me your take on, on not just uh, what happened with Roe v. Wade, but the decision that came out yesterday with regard to the EPA. Um, and I, I guess maybe my question for you is, I was shocked that John Roberts actually joined these opinions because he has been somewhat of a floater that's partnered with uh, the left, left-leaning justices on the court. But on these two decisions, uh, he sided with conservatives. That's right. You know, this is actually an issue that he's really good on. And, uh, and, and as you say, he, he, he's not a consistent uh, originalist, but there are issues that he— um, he gets right here, and I think this is definitely one of them. This court has been very strong in pushing back on the uh, overreach of government, and that's really what was happening in the EPA case. The EPA still has a whole lot of authority after that case. They have all the authority given them under the Clean Water Act, under the Clean Air Act, uh, but they don't have, the, have just unlimited authority, and that's what the court was saying. You don't get to just make up these huge re- rewritings of the entire industry, the entire energy industry, and just kind of try to fit it into a footnote somewhere in the statute. You have to actually do what Congress gave you authority to do. And if Congress didn't give you that authority, um, you can't, right, to your point, you can't find it in a footnote and try to extrapolate from the footnote to say that you have power to completely rework American energy, moving us from fossil fuels to green energy. It doesn't work that way. Go to the Congress if you want. Let them pass a law and give you specific authority to make those rules or let Congress do it themselves. But this has really irked uh, the left wing of America. I want to go to cut three, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So I believe that the president should come out in favor, uh, forcefully in favor of expanding the Supreme Court. I believe that the that the president should forcefully come out in favor of abolishing the Senate filibuster. Those two actions dramatically increase political pressure and makes it much harder to resist. All right, Carrie, your thought on expanding the Supreme Court so liberals can put justices on that fit their political persuasion. I cannot explain how bad an idea that would be. Um, You know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself recognized this is a horrible idea. The only reason Democrats are advancing it is because they think they could do it in a way that would solely help their side. And that is the epitome of politicizing 
the court. Really, uh, what would happen is, you know, they add a few justices. Then the next time Republicans have control, they're going to have to add a bunch of justices back. And eventually you have to start building a new wing onto the Supreme Court building because you can't fit the whole court in the same building. I mean, it, it's, it's just a disaster. It's the kind of response. Um, that is so discouraging because, you know, you you think of the pro-life movement, for example. We just saw the, the overturning of Roe. That was a case that came down in 1973. At the time, people weren't saying, hey, let's go, you know, assassinate some justices. Let's go uh, pack the court and add a bunch of new justices because we can't uh, we can't uh, have a court that disagrees with us. They said, we're going to work. We're going to talk about this. We're going to um, convince people we're going to win elections. And, and it took 50 years. Uh, but that is the that is the constitutional way to do this rather than just say, hey, I've got the power today. Let's let's make the court look like we want it to look today. So I, I am glad we have seen even Democrats like uh, Joe Manchin and, and Tristan Sinema standing up to this. Uh, and I hope that they continue because I think I couldn't imagine something worse for the institution of the courts. I, I couldn't agree, I couldn't agree more with that. And again, to your point, uh, conservatives or even just pro-lifers, you have Democrats as well in that group have, have peacefully, for the most part, not always, but for the most part, I think of the pro-life march in, in January where it's cold as all get out and it's this youth movement of a march for life. And what I find fascinating, too, is in politics, um, we've had – uh, very conservative Christian presidents. I think of George W. Bush, a evangelical. But here you got Donald Trump. You know, President Trump. I don't think everyone, anyone, held President Trump up as an evangelical Christian. But he made a commitment to the life movement that he was going to put on pro-life justices, um, or at least justices that would follow the Constitution in regard to life. Um, and he followed through with that promise and put on three justices, which is why Roe was overturned. Um, but uh, I got to tell you, I, I, I think one of the justices that gets the most criticism is is your old boss. Take a listen to Cut Eight. I want you to react. I went to law school with him. Mm -hmm. He's been a, a person of grievance for as long as I've known him. Resentment, grievance, anger, and he has signaled uh, in the past to lower courts, to state legislatures, to find cases, pass laws get them up. I may not win the first, the second, or the third time, but we're going to keep at it. Women are going to die, Gail. Women will die. Oh, my goodness. So Clarence Thomas is a justice of grievance and anger. Well, Carrie, you worked for him. Is he a justice and a man of grievance and anger? You know, <laughs> something tells me that Hillary Rodham and, and Clarence Thomas weren't really running in the same circles in law school, but Probably not. if they were, you know, I can tell you what he's like today. I mean, he's someone who is one of the most kind, generous, um, thoughtful. Out, out, you know, he he just knows everyone who works with him at, at the court, and is and just from top to bottom, from the chief justice to the janitor, is is just a wonderful um, friend. He's a mentor to so many people. Uh, justice Sotomayor actually just gave some lovely words recently, uh, talking about what a great colleague he is. So I, I think I think uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, it, you know, is kind of just wish casting here. She's, she's thinking about how, how angry and frustrated she gets and maybe just sort of 
projecting that a little bit on Justice Thomas. Oh, that was projection. This is actually Hillary Clinton, who is angry uh, and has grievances. No doubt she does have grievances, having run for president twice and lost each time. Yeah, yeah no doubt about that. Can I ask you about how the court works? Because uh, I was a prosecutor. I was only a lowly state prosecutor for 10 years. But you, you, you had the EPA decision. You had the Roe decision. But then you also had Joe Biden get a win with the court on Remain in Mexico. Is is there some balance that happens on the court where they're like, okay, we got there's there's two that kind of went to the right. We got to give Joe Biden a win here, or is it really fairly looking at the law and saying, you know what, no, actually Joe Biden does have the authority to get rid of remain in Mexico, um, and we're going to side with him. How, how does the court work in that regard? Uh, yeah, so I, you know, it should not be that you're going, oh, win for you, one for you, one right. for me, I agree you with know, that. couple over here. That is not how justice. Is served that if you want to do that, you know, play, I, I don't know, play Twister or something. Like there's there are games that are random, and then this is this is justice. And the court that doesn't mean that the court always is going to agree. And and you know, with the Rain in Mexico case, for example, you saw um, it, not just uh, Chief Justice Roberts and, and Justice Kavanaugh, but Justice Barrett also agreed uh, with much much of that uh, decision. It was a closer statutory case than some of the ones. There's some cases that are really pretty open and shut and easy. And I actually think the Dobbs case falls into that category in terms of what does the Constitution say on abortion, in terms of, you know, what's going to follow and, and the political fallout, obviously not an easy case. But some cases are, are legally easy. Um, that one wasn't as, as straight down the line. I think just you, you have justices who have different approaches, um, and, and some of them are going to read, you know, the same law a couple different ways. That's why we have nine of them, so that you hopefully get a uh, a decent average uh, answer every time. Listen, I'm happy to hear that because it, it, this is about the law. This is about the Constitution. It shouldn't be, you know, two for you, so we got to give one to Joe Biden. That does uh, It shouldn't work that way, and I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that. Um, as we look at kind of how the court functions right now, obviously there's a lot of pressure on the court. There's been a lot of violence directed uh, and threats directed towards the court recently. Do they do a pretty good job, the justices, of putting that out of their minds? Uh, or I would think as any... Any uh, man or woman uh, who has a family would be concerned about the, the, the attention that the court is getting right now and the individual attention that each justice is getting. Do you think that concerns them, and can that persuade them? Yeah, so I think, um, luckily, when I was clerking, it wasn't as insane as it is now. So I've never actually seen them up close under this level of pressure, but I can tell you it's never, there's never no pressure. Um, right. But this is historic levels. Um, when I was there, a big protest was like, oh, wow, there's 20 people outside. This is kind of wild. We did have one day when like 100 people showed up and actually like tried to rush the building. That was like, wow, this is crazy. Now what we're talking about is just, you know, ludicrous in comparison, uh, not to mention at their private homes, which used to never happen. Um, and justices, a lot of them were, had a lot of anonymity. They could kind of walk around and no one would really notice who they were. That's not the case anymore. So it, that definitely changes the nature of the job. And it's unfortunate, um, especially with the safety concerns. I don't think you should have to trade your personal safety for doing uh, your job and serving our country. Um, but I do think they've shown that they're able to stand up to the pressure. And I think the, I was so relieved when the job decision came down. You saw that apart from really responding to the the, the um, concurrence and the dissent, there wasn't any, there weren't any changes. And I think that was them saying, we're not, 
switching what we're doing based on your outside pressure. And I, I think that is a very good sign for the health of the court and the success of the rules of law. The, the, I think that is, that is a great sign. You're right. They, they didn't cave the pressure. The, the decision came out. They, they weren't swayed by folks at their home protesting and, and the um, – and, and the violent threats that came their way. I got to go in a moment, but just quickly your take on, are we going to find out who the leaker was of the draft opinion? Well, you know, I would, I would have said when it first came out, I thought absolutely they're going to find this person. The chief justice, when I was there, was very uh, hostile to the idea of anyone ever violating any confidences. I thought all the incentives are aligned. He's going to find this person. There's not that many people to look through. I'm very discouraged. They have not done so. And starting on, on next week, I think some of the clerks are going to probably start leaving. Normally, it's the first week of July that, that turnover happens. So I think they, that that window has unfortunately closed. And um, that's, that's really bad news for, you know, the future of what clerks being able to work well with their justices, one chambers being able to work with each other, because that trust has been broken in such a radical way. Well, listen, it is too bad. And again, if you if you want to stop future leaks, prosecute the leaker of this decision. And again, it won't happen again. Carrie Severino, thanks for joining me on Fox Across America. Very grateful. Great talking to you. All right. We'll be right back. You're hanging out with Jimmy Fallon on Fox Across America. Welcome back to Fox Across America. I'm Sean Duffy and for Jimmy Fallon. So now we're all planning our 4th of July getaways, what we're going to have for our barbecues. And as we go to the store, all of us know that prices are up. And again, I've mentioned this before. Economists say it's 12%. I would tell you it is way more than that. I think it's 40%, 50%. We're paying more at the grocery store. But I want to bring in someone who can give us the best tips as we go uh, into the thought process on what we're going to barbecue, how we're going to barbecue. I want to bring in John McLemore, who, if you watch Fox and Friends, you'll see him on Fridays uh, out there grilling with the Fox and Friends team. On the weekends, he's been in Talladega uh, grilling as well. Uh, And he has, I think, some of the best tips on how to grill great food for a reasonable price. John McLemore, celebrity chef, chef, welcome to Fox Across America. Uh, Sean, it's great to be with you. I've actually uh, got my son here with me, John, too, and we're both uh, like a bunch of other Americans right now waiting on some flights to get back to Atlanta, Georgia, but we sure did enjoy the time with you last night uh, on Fox Business and at the concert series this morning, so we're ready to get home for the 4th of July, and buddy, you are exactly right, Sean. The the cost, I think, is way above 12%, so John and I want to show folks how to, or tell folks how to have a great 4th of July and how to save some money, and uh, you know, when things are going like they are, man, there's some tricks and trades to the game yeah and, and sean this is uh john too the 29 year old you know beautiful specimen i am oh my, God. Son for dad. Uh, my tip for the younger generation is go to your parents house right for the july we, we were joking with you the, about that the other day um but uh dad i think we're we're cooking for what about 50 people that's right so i think our biggest tip is to find a larger cut of meat Obviously, if your family wants to go in on you, if if they love you, they can go in on you with it. But find a larger cut of meat, like a pork shoulder, um, and it's it's an easy recipe to smoke a pork shoulder, and it goes a long way uh, for a a larger crowd. And then it keeps, you know, find food that you can meal prep with, uh, like a pork tenderloin, a pork shoulder, or something of that nature, 
uh, that obviously you know serves a larger crowd, but you can smoke a large cut of meat, uh, and then it keeps throughout the week. And we're big on leftovers, right? So leftovers, so, you know, is uh, the key. So you guys, tell me if I'm wrong because I've listened to your advice. You said, yeah, listen, get, get a pork shoulder. So I had a, a a big pool barbecue party at my house last Saturday. I had 70 people coming over. So I, again, I, I we we did hamburgers and hot dogs. Uh, and I thought that'd be enough to feed everybody, but uh, just in case, I had bought two pork shoulders per your advice, and I yep. think I paid eighteen dollars per pork shoulder. It was I mean it was it was not not nearly as expensive as other meat, and right, we right. made tacos out of it, and it was absolutely delicious. Um, and so, yeah. yeah, you're you're exactly right, Sean. I mean, if you look at all the prices, and I agree with you, we're an overall inflation on food is way above an average of 12%. I think it's closer to 15 to 20%. But some of the meats that are out there, pork is one of those that you can save some money on. It does save or, or allow you to feed larger crowds. Boston Bud is one of our go-to recipes. And right now, if you buy a good 8-pound Boston Bud, you're going to pay a lot less per pound than you are beef or chicken so highly recommend doing that. And, again, it's one of those recipes that not only allows you to save money when you're grilling for your family, which is one of our tips, get family together, friends together, great food brings us all together. But it does allow you to enjoy the time with your family, saving some money, and you don't have to necessarily stand over the grill while you're having fun with your family because yep. you can slow smoke your Boston butt, get it ready, and the party is Always good, man, when you're serving great yeah. food. And, and so think I, I think that's important because if, if you're going to get a cheaper cut of meat, making sure you prepare it the right way is key. Yep. Yeah. And, and when I've done it, I've had to call John Sr. and say, John, what do I do? And you've been great with your <laughs> advice, and I appreciate that, and it's yes, turned out right. excellent. I only have about 40 seconds left. If, if people want to yep. get some great recipes for these cuts of meat, where can they go? They want to save money, but they want it to taste great. Where can they get those recommendations and recipes? Yeah, we – Sean, we have all of those recipes on masterbuilt.com in our recipe section. And then uh, if you follow the Macklemore Boys on Instagram and Facebook, we post weekly recipe videos. And then we've got, uh, obviously, the All-American Summer Concert Series that we're doing with Fox and Friends that we're doing uh, tailored, customized recipes. And we got one, which we did a street taco. Uh, skirt state street I, I had that today, Macklemore's. It was delicious. Yeah. You guys have a great Fourth of July. We'll be back. Hey, Sean, you're the man. Thanks, I appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Hey everyone, Sean Duffy filling in here for Jimmy Fallon on Fox Across America. So, talking Supreme Court, uh, the Supreme Court gave a couple wins to uh, conservatives, or those who love the Constitution, in essence, pushing back on the EPA and their expansive power, also overturning Roe v. Wade. But they also gave a win to the Joe Biden administration saying Joe Biden has the authority to get rid of the remain in Mexico policy, a policy that would make migrants not wait in the U.S., be released in the U.S. and show up for a hearing, but they'd actually have to go back to Mexico and wait for their hearing date before they came into the country. So the Supreme Court sided with Joe Biden and says he can end that policy. But on top of that, as we know, Joe Biden has stopped building the border wall that Donald Trump started building. 
And also Joe Biden has indicated he wants to get rid of Title 42, the uh, the rule that came in during the pandemic that uh, because of health reasons was stemming the flow of migrants to our border. So everything that Donald Trump has done to stop the flow of migrants to our border, Joe Biden has, in essence, done or said he will get rid of all of those uh, procedures and policies. So to talk more about this, we have the Arizona Attorney General Mark Bernovich joining us right now. Mark, thanks for joining the program. Thank you, Sean, for having me on. Absolutely. So give me your take. In Arizona, what impact is this massive influx of uh, of migrants having on your state? Well, I always remind folks that every state is a border state right now because of the failure Great of the point. Biden administration's policies. So when, when by any measure, whether it's the loss in human lives, whether it's the cost to hardworking American taxpayers, we are all paying a cost for this, not only at the gas pump, the grocery store, but with um, the gangs and the crime infiltration, a record amount of fentanyl coming over. And you know, uh, let me just take a step back. So we know since Biden, Joe Biden became president, uh, more than three million people have illegally entered the country. I mean, it's it's more than the Stunning. population of Wyoming and Vermont and Alaska combined. I mean, it, it, these are mind-numbing numbers. And just last month, there, the, almost the, enti- the size of almost the entire population of Buffalo, New York, came over in just one month. Last month, more than 1,000 pounds of uh, fentanyl were seized at our southern border, enough to kill millions of people, a population of an entire state. So we lose sight of how much chaos the Biden administration is caused by just what you said, Sean, their failure to build the border wall, which we've sued them over, their failure to deport people deportation orders, which I've had to sue them over, their failure or their attempt to rescind Title 42, where our lawyers successfully stopped them from doing that. Unfortunately, we weren't able to stop him from revoking the Remain in Mexico policy, but the list goes on and on where the Biden administration is systematically trying to dismantle our southern border. I think some of us, you know, this conservative thought, well, maybe he's trying to get rid of ICE, but the reality is he just wants to abolish our entire southern border because he's got whoever's speaking in his earpiece has this neo-Marxist vision for what the United States should be. Which is uh, no borders. You can go anywhere in the world. We're borderless, but America leads the way because I think we're the only ones who say we have an open border. Anyone can come in. I want to ask you about the functionality of the Supreme Court's decision on remain in Mexico, doing away with it. I, I, I know that it sends a message to migrants around the world that remain in Mexico is now gone, so maybe we should make the trip right now. So the message is one thing, and the pull that that decision might have to bring more migrants to our border. I get that. But if you actually look at the numbers, Joe Biden had a had a 207,000 paroles uh, through the Border Patrol. So they're, they're paroling 207,000 migrants. What they're supposed to do is actually go case-by-case basis, look at every migrant, and if it's in the best interest of the United States, they can release that migrant into the country as opposed to sending them back to Mexico. There's no way that Joe Biden or the Border Patrol could have reviewed 207,000 migrants and said, we're going to parole them and release them into the country. So in essence, Joe Biden has got around already remain in Mexico by the parole system and 207,000 have already been released. Am I wrong on that? 
I think yes. You're tell I me. Think, yeah, Give it to me. You're generally correct. You're generally correct. <laughs> this is one. My wife tells me I'm wrong all the time, so that's okay. Mark. <laughs> that's, that's you're right. the well, you are Wisconsin. My wife's from Wisconsin <laughs> too. So nicest people are from Wisconsin. But she always jokes, just as an aside, that the reason why she's conservative is because she was born and raised in Madison. So yeah, well, um, that's but to our listeners, that's the most liberal city in the state. And by yeah. the way, my wife is actually from Arizona, so we kind of did a switcheroo here. Yes, exactly. And so, but but getting back to this, the serious point, the, the part of what happens when you decriminalize and then incentivize any sort of behavior, especially illegal behavior, you get more of it. So one of the things about Remain in Mexico was is that it sent a message that if you, you know, it, the migrants had a risk or there was a realistic chance that they wouldn't be let into the country. So they had to calculate whether it was worth that risk. And we know that border encounters dropped by 64% when Remain in Mexico was enacted. So it was just one of those tools. But when you start stripping away all these tools, stop building the wall, um, uh, get rid of Remain in Mexico, try to rescind Title 42, when you don't deport people with deportation orders as Title 8 of the U.S. Code requires, you're sending a message that there is absolutely nothing to stop you. And one of the things, Sean, that's not getting any play, no one's talking about, is we actually filed a lawsuit because the Biden administration wants to allow DHS to grant asylum now. So no one's talking about this. We, we're sued him because if you allow DHS instead of um, immigration judges grant asylum. That means just kind of what you're talking about with paroling. You're going to have DHS bureaucrats of the Biden administration essentially granting asylum, essentially granting amnesty to people. And once you do that, it's some future administration or future Congress is not going to be able to unwind it. And if they do that, what's the pathway then to citizenship and to voting? Well, this is the so then once you get um, that status, then you can be eligible for a green card. And then once you're eligible for a green card, then you can start being on your path to citizenship. And so, you know, that's the concern is that the Biden administration and the far left is radically gaming the system. And another thing that just happened today, I just had to send a letter to the Biden administration because Biden's Department of Justice just this week sent me a letter saying they're going to sue Arizona because we have a new law now that says you have to prove citizenship in order to vote. And the Biden administration says that is, you know, unconstitutional and racist or whatever else they allege the left alleges. And so we just sent a snarky letter back to them. And one of the things that I point out in my letter is that, my goodness, they're going to waste federal tax dollars suing us over a common sense election integrity measures, but yet they're letting millions of people illegally enter the country. And I think this just tells you, or this just exposes what the Biden administration and the far less radical plan is. They're going to have millions of people come into the country, and then the Biden administration wants to give them citizenship or not allow the states to enforce any sort of voting integrity measures. Well, and they, they may be misguided on that, too, right? I mean, so for Joe Biden, the lowest uh, group of Americans that uh, have unfavorable viewpoints of Joe Biden are Hispanics. They have an approval rating for Joe Biden of 24 percent. It's the lowest of, of, of any group in the country. And so I want to ask you, you mentioned elections. I want to talk about Arizona elections. We usually think of Arizona as a conservative, right-leaning state. Well, in 2020, Joe Biden won the state of Arizona. Mark Kelly won the state of Arizona. So it looks like Arizona is far more purple than red today. My question for you is, talk to me about the politics of the border, the politics of the Hispanic vote, and tell me, is Mark Kelly, your senator, going to be reelected, or is he going to have a tough challenge getting back to the Senate? Well, Arizonans 
want an Arizona senator representing Arizona values. So I point out to people all the time, because I'm actually running against Mark Kelly, is that Mark Kelly votes with Bernie Sanders nine out of ten times. Heck, Bernie Sanders' wife doesn't agree with him that much. So those are not Arizona values. Those are kind of East Coast values when you're voting with Chucky e. Schumer 97% of the time and Bernie Sanders 9 out of 10 times. And the reality is, is that, look, I, I'm a first-generation American myself, and so I never did any polling you know, before I ran for the Senate. And I used to always say, I talk to my, my mom and all of you know, her friends that you know, are now in you know, their, their mid to late 80s and you know, escaped communist countries and lived in Poland and Yugoslavia and Hungary. And when you talk to folks like that, that sometimes had to work two and three jobs, people like myself and my friends were, you know, I grew up speaking Serbo-Croatian as my first language. Um, you know, I am proud of my culture and my heritage, my background. But, you know, I was forced in the first grade to learn English. And, you know, I was forced to learn about, not forced, but, you know, I learned about the United States and this country and the greatness of this country. And I think that first-generation um, Americans, immigrants, people that have lived in countries where the government can take everything away from you or where some dictator arbitrarily picks and chooses winners and losers in the marketplace or how people can exercise their right to vote. People that have come from countries like that understand how fragile liberty and freedom are. And it's not something that we pass on to our kids, you know, in our, in our blood. It's something we've got to fight for every generation. So it does not surprise me at all, especially when I'm out. You know, I just spoke to the Hispanic business leaders here about a month or so ago, um, the Hispanic pastors, and they are overwhelmingly supportive of the efforts I'm doing because I have just heard so many stories about people that said, I struggled to do it the right way. It took me 14 years to get my citizenship. I had to get a, you know, a visitor's visa, you know, all, all these stories. And so people think it's fundamentally unfair when someone can essentially cut to the front of the line and, you know, get tickets to go visit their cousin in somewhere else, or they're getting put up in hotels your wife would know, or Scottsdale and Shea is at. That's a really nice swanky area here in Phoenix, or Scottsdale, and people are, immigrants are being put up in hotels there for free at taxpayer expense. So people know there's some something fundamentally wrong about that. And when I ran in 2018, I'm not filibustering, I'm sorry, Sean, but when I ran in 2018, I I was outspent, and I still got more votes than Kirsten Cinema or Martha McSally. And I would like to think, and I do believe, that's because I'm a principled Arizonan. I grew up here. I went to Shadow Mountain High School, and I understand th th this state. And we have this, this spirit. We are conservative, but we aren't crazy. And so I think it's important to have candidates that reflect those ideas where we have a healthy distrust of government. We don't like Washington, D.C. to solve our problems. We like low taxes, low regulation, and we love us some Second Amendment rights. Mark, my mother-in-law came from Spain, and nothing makes her more angry than seeing people who don't do it the right way when she did it the right way, went through the process, went through you know, a, a significant background check. And I think you're right. In Arizona, like in every state, they want people to, to, to love the state and fight for the, for the values and the morals of their state. Uh, as the Attorney General, no doubt you have done that for Arizona, and frankly, you've done it for the rest of the country. You've, you've given a voice uh, two states where they have attorney generals who haven't stood up like you, and we are grateful for that. Good luck with uh, with the campaign, and um, maybe we'll see in Washington, D.C. in the Senate. God willing. <laughs> Your lips to God's ears, Sean. Thank Mark, you very much. Mark Burnovich, thanks, thanks for joining me. All right, we'll be right back at Cross, Fox Across America. You're listening to the show that Standard & Poor describes as Standard & Poor. I would say he's incompetent, but I don't want to do that because that's not nice. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to Fox Across America. I am Sean Duffy and for Jimmy Fela. All right, my next guest I am thrilled to bring on because he is one of the big winners of last Tuesday's primary elections in the great state of New York. Uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin uh, served in the House since I think 2013. He's on financial services, I would argue, at the best committee in Congress because I served there with him for a number of years. He's running for governor, had a tough primary, and came out the other side as the victor. Let's welcome to the program Lee Zeldin. Thanks for joining me, Lee. So Financial Services Committee isn't the best committee because Maxine Waters is the chair and we have AOC <laughs> and Tlaib and Al Green. I get it. Well, no, listen, that's what makes it so great. It's such an awesome committee that even AOC wants to serve on it. Uh, Maxine Waters wants to be on it. That's the power that we had, Lee. Uh, you still actually still do have. But congratulations. I, didn't, I did not text you. I did, I did not tweet at you. I didn't call you after you won. So this is my first time saying Awesome job. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. Tell me, what was so special about your campaign that animated you to victory on Tuesday? You have to start early and work hard. I got into this race 19 months to the day before the November 8, 2022 election. So April 8th of last year, we started. First six months of the campaign, I got to every one of New York's 62 counties at least twice, many far more than that, and we just kept on going. So yet you really have to work hard at it. In a big state, this isn't a red state. You know, this is a state that has not elected a Republican governor since George Pataki, who left office in 2006. I would argue strongly that the timing is absolutely right for what we're doing here. The top issues are crime and public safety and the economy. We see attacks on the quality of education, our schools, and uh, I would say really attacks on freedom. It's happening right now. There's a special session today up in Albany where in response to the Supreme Court's ruling overturning New York's concealed carry law, they're trying to pass further restrictions targeting law-abiding New Yorkers uh, who want to safely and securely carry for solely their own self-defense. Uh, so with, with these top issues on the ballot and the way that you're seeing Hochul and one-party Dem rule taking the state in the wrong direction, we're feeling pretty good about the path ahead. Well, because I, I think if I'm listening across the country, I'd say, well, Lee Zeldin, love you, brother, but you're running for governor in New York State. I mean, this is a Democrat state. How does a guy like Lee Zeldin win and and this is this is my pathway I think you have to victory and tell me if I'm wrong obviously you get outside of New York City and it's a fairly red state there's a lot of republicans in the state but New York City is so big and so blue it's really hard to overcome the city but if the city has been run so poorly and as you mentioned crime is out of control people that have resources and the ability to have a job outside the city are actually leaving because it's so bad and so if you can change the vote in New York City, I don't know if it's, is it 3% or 4%, if you can change it by that much, doesn't that bring you to victory in a statewide election? Or what, what are the numbers on that? Well, it's a great question. And uh, Chad Pergram from Fox, he always says it's about the math. And to your point, as you're talking about what needs to move inside of New York and specifically New York City, the vocal is 29%. If I lose New York City by 40 points... I'm hitting my vocal to win this race statewide. So wait, so wait, so wait, you can if you lose New York by 40 points, you can still win this race. Our our vocal <laughs> in New York City is 29 percent. We lose by 42 percent, and we are hitting our vocal. Now wow. I 
I, I am now serving my fourth term in Congress uh, on Long Island. We saw last November 2nd a lot on Long Island went from blue to red. It wasn't just Long Island. While eyes were on the Virginia gubernor, gubernatorial race, New York City Council seats flipped. Democrats were Republican. Towns across the rest of the state did the same. But we have vocals in every county. You know, we know that we need 60% in Suffolk and 55% in Nassau and 43% in Westchester. Those vocals go on for the entire state. Lee, I'm going to cut you off for a second because I only have one minute left. I want you to tell me if 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 you if you win, um, what can you do to 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 address the crime issue and the economic issues that are that that New York is facing as governor? The first thing I do right after I'm sworn into office, I use the constitutional authority that the governor of New York has. I fire Alvin Bragg. It's my first act as governor. My second act, all COVID mandates, and the third act is that we appoint a special prosecutor to investigate Cuomo's deadly nursing home order and cover-up. There are things that we could do on the first day to start turning things around in this state. The governor has the power to be able to start moving in the right direction. I'll tell you, it's just a victory just to stop the agenda of AOC and her friends. Lee Zeldin, a great American, great in Congress, would be a great governor. If I was from New York, I'd vote for you, Lee, but I'm not. I'm a Wisconsin guy. Thanks for joining me. We'll be right back with Fox Across America. Welcome back to Fox Across America. I'm Sean Duffy. And for Jimmy Fallon, who must be off somewhere getting ready for a big barbecue cookout. Maybe he's getting his old uh, uh, records ready to, you know, spin some, I don't know, what did he spin records? That's Jimmy. He's old school. As I look at his desk here, he's got, you know, Star Wars and G.I. Joes and all kind of figurines um, on his desk as a homage back to the 80s. Um, but as I mentioned at the start of the show, about an hour and a half ago, there's a lot of people who are depressed. We have crime, open borders, gas prices, inflation. We have an ineffective administration. Pete Buttigieg canceled flights across the country, baby formula shortages, CRT being taught to our kids, and cancel culture on social media. Uh, we're being uh, uh, inundated with transgenderism. So things don't feel that great. Right for conservatives, they're a little depressed as we come into the Fourth of July. But as I mentioned, there's reason for hope. We have a great Supreme Court that overturned Roe v. Wade, a Supreme Court that pushed back on the EPA, didn't eradicate the EPA's ability to pass rules, but they can't fundamentally change the way that we get energy in America. You can't take us from fossil fuels to green energy without anybody voting for it, without Congress actually having a say in it and Congress not giving them the authority. We have a million voters that change their registration to Republican. They're so frustrated with Democrats. Myra Flores, the new uh, congresswoman from South Texas, a, a district that had been held by Democrats for 100 years, won the seat as a Republican because Hispanics, are so frustrated with the liberal radical policies that have ruined the economy that they're now out voting for Republicans. They want the American dream back. The reason they came here or their forefathers came here was for opportunity and the American dream. And so as conservatives feel a little bit depressed, they're not the only ones. I want to go to Billy Joel Armstrong, clip 27. Listen to this. 
America. I'm renouncing my citizenship. I'm Billy Joe Armstrong, he's the, the lead singer of Green Day. Listen, I hear these liberals all the time make the pledge. They're going to leave America. They're going to go to Canada or Australia. Please leave. Get the hell out of here. You, you keep threatening and, 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 and telling us you're going to leave the country. Why don't you just leave? Why don't you actually go to Venezuela? Why don't you go to Cuba and see how when your policies are fully implemented, the impact that it has on a society, on a community, and on families, the complete devastation that your Marxist socialism breeds in a society? how it destroys economies. Why don't you go there when you give up your U.S. citizenship? But it's not just Green Day. Let's go to Clip 28, Olivia Rodrigo. Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, Amy Cullen Barrett, and Brett Kavanaugh. We hate you. We hate you. I love how she's breathing through it, giving us such passion. She... She hates conservative justices on the Supreme Court. My kids might not like me saying this because I think they, 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 they like her music, but uh, not a fan, Olivia. If you don't like the court, you, know, you don't like the process in which the founders set up the Constitution in which we get the court, well, you too can join the lead singer of Green Day and you can say bye-bye to America. You can go to uh, Canada where they're absolutely leaning Marxist left uh, like you want. And again, you too can go to Venezuela. You can go to Cuba. Maybe uh, we could resurrect the old Soviet Union and you can see what socialism and communism looks like and feels like. Um, I find it fascinating, again, that we have these leftists that hate America um, and they demonize America. And I look at our country and as we go into the 4th of July, I'm a proud American. I love our country. And again, we're not perfect. None of us None of you listening, me, none of us are perfect. Our country is not perfect, but we continue to strive to do better and be better. We've offered more freedom, more opportunity. We're the most innovative, creative, generous people that have ever existed on the face of the earth. What other country sends its young men men and women around the world, give their lives for someone else's freedom? We don't take their land. We don't take their treasure. We just give them freedom. And we spend our life and treasure to give that to others. What other society has ever done that but us here in America? And for people in the elite left who want to hate us on this 4th of July, pack up, pack your bags, get on your private jet and go somewhere else. Don't let the door hit you in the backside on the way out. All right, we're Fox Across America. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with one of my best friends, a member of Congress from the great state of Michigan. Uh, he's got a great family, too. Not as many kids as me, but almost as many many kids as me, the wonderful Bill Heisinger. We'll be right back. The critics have spoken. You snotty little bastard. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Welcome back to Fox Across America. Sean Duffy in for Jimmy Fail. I stole the keys to the Jimmy Fail of Fox Across America car. Driving, I've kept, uh, to use another analogy, I've kept the uh, rudder in the water. Steering this bad boy has been kind of fun. 
I want to wish you all a happy 4th of July as you go into this weekend. All of you celebrating this great day of independence uh, in America. Hopefully you get a lot of time with your family and your friends. You get some good meals, uh, maybe a a, a Coca-Cola or a cocktail, and kick back and celebrate. Again, what's so great about this country? It's our freedom, our faith, our families, um, and a country that gives that to us. But as we do this weekend of 4th of July, we oftentimes travel. I'm, I'm traveling myself. And as we go fill up our cars with gas, we notice that we are getting raked over the coals because gas prices are on average above $5 a gallon. So I drive a Suburban. I have a lot of kids. And uh, it costs about $160 to fill up my Suburban. And uh, you notice it when you're paying that much for gas. But I think it's important for us to all recognize that it's not Joe Biden's fault. It's someone else's fault. Let's go to cut 14. We could have immediate relief in, in, in terms of the reduction of the, of the, uh, uh, the elimination of temp- temporary elimination of the gas tax. And so I think there's a lot of things we can do and we will do. But the bottom line is, ultimately, the reason why gas prices are up is because of Russia. Russia, Russia, Russia. The reason why the food crisis exists is because of Russia. Right. Russia, Russia, Russia. It's not Joe Biden's attack on American energy. It's not the new rules and regulations that Joe Biden puts out. He won't let us refine. He doesn't want us to build pipelines. He doesn't want to approve leases or give permits for drilling on those leases for American energy. And so the American energy companies are like, listen, we're not going to make billions of dollars of investments that don't pay off for a decade when you might want to support us right now when gas prices are high. But if prices come back down again, you're going to jump in with your liberal partners like AOC and come after us. But again, Joe Biden may not have been so clear. Again, he blamed it on Russia. So I think we should go to the real strategic mind and the great communicator of the White House. Let's do Kamala Harris cut 17. What else is in your toolbox? Is there anything else you can do to help bring down the cost of gas? Yeah, well, first of all, let's just say that this is, this is a very real issue. And um, we have to do something about it. And it's one of our highest priorities as an administration. So there is the piece that is about gas and bringing down the cost of gas, which in large part has exploded because of Putin's war in Ukraine. Okay, so we're looking for ideas from Kamala Harris, and again, it's a real issue. We have to do something about it. It's the highest priority. But she was asked, what else is in your toolbox? And in essence, she doesn't say anything. There's nothing that this administration is going to do to bring down oil and gas. They're just going to blame Russia, and then they're going to go to Saudi Arabia and say, hey, Saudi, would you produce more oil? But they won't look to Texas, to America, to produce more oil, where we get American jobs, American revenue, and American independence from American oil. They want to look somewhere else. And so when you get these kind of answers, I think even Democrats might give you a little bit of pushback. Let's go to David Axelrod, cut 16. When the president got into those questions, gas prices and inflation and abortion rights, there was a lot less of that certainty, a lot less of that emphatic nature uh, of his initial presentation on NATO because he doesn't have great answers. 
Uh, David Axelrod, senior advisor to Barack Obama, comes clean and says they don't have a lot of answers. Well, no doubt. I mean, we all know that Joe Biden doesn't have a lot of answers. He just sits back, and instead of taking initiative and unleashing American energy, again, he blames Vladimir Putin. But I think that they're not really being honest. I believe that this is intentional. They want to see high gas prices. They want to see us in pain. They want to see people thrown into poverty because then they have the recipe where they can move us from fossil fuels to green energy. They want to get us to green energy, which, by the way, as I mentioned before, and you all know this, we have a lot of energy in America, a lot of oil and gas in America. We are self-sufficient on American oil and gas. If we're going to go green, we're going to get windmills and uh, 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 solar panels from China. The, The critical minerals that go into solar panels and windmills, it's not coming from America because Joe Biden won't let us mine those critical minerals. We have to get them from somewhere else so we're not depend so we're dependent on the rest of the world instead of being dependent on Texas and Pennsylvania and North Dakota. And a case in point, I want to go to uh, Brian Deese who basically laid this clean, clip 15. What do you say to those families who say, "Listen, we can't afford to pay 4.85 a gallon for months, if not years. This is just not sustainable." Well, what you heard from the president today was a clear articulation of the stakes. This is about the future of the liberal world order, and we have to stand firm. All right, Brian Deese, he's the director of the National Economic Council in the White House. The National uh, uh, Economic Council director, Brian Deese, says in response to high oil prices, this is the liberal world order. So in essence, they're telling you this is part of the plan. High energy prices are part of the plan. Throwing you into poverty is part of the plan so they can make this transition to green energy and make us more dependent, more reliant on places like China that hate us. The communists in China have more control over us. Look at what happened with Europe and their dependence on Russia. Never ends well. All right, I want to bring in my next guest, uh, one of my good friends, Congressman from uh, the great state of Michigan, the western side of Michigan, where he's on the lake. It's actually, if, you, if, you, if you haven't been there, it is gorgeous. The beaches are beautiful. The great Bill Heisinga. Congressman Heisinga, thanks for joining me on Fox Across America. Hey, Sean, and thanks for the uh, pure Michigan ad there about how beautiful our beaches are. It is very, very true. And, uh, you know, a lot of times people hear Michigan and they think solely of Detroit. And Detroit's a very important part of Michigan, but uh, we've got a lot more to offer as well. You, you know, you really do. We're talking about gas prices before you jumped on with me. And I'm not sure if you're hearing the same thing from their Michiganders, right? The Michiganders who are dealing with inflation, but also gas prices as we all travel this 4th of July weekend. What are you hearing on the ground? Yeah, and maybe I should start with that. I mean, we, we were talking up Michigan, and I guess I do feel like I have to apologize to the nation for one Michigan export. Uh, uh, Secretary of Energy Jennifer Granholm, our former governor, uh, that, uh, that frankly has been, uh, that has been unfortunate for the rest of the country, as you've seen how she's been dealing with this. And Sean, look, we're, 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 de- we're hearing the exact same thing that everybody else is around the country, uh, which is why in the world are we seeing these uh, energy prices skyrocket like this? Uh, and why in the world are we not 
doing something about it here domestically. And, you know, what that, that clip that you played from, uh, uh, from Brian Deese and, and the clips from, uh, from Biden trying to word salad their way through this uh, is just laughable to most people. They, they hear it and they go, wait a minute, I, I can think in parallel terms here. And uh, the parallel is you shut down energy production here in the United States. You shut down uh, the, uh, the pipeline system and we are paying higher energy costs. Easy as that. And, and you know what is true, because they also tell us that, you know, I care about you. I'm trying to do something about this. And I think you and I both, we, we were both elected in 2010. We both served on uh, financial services together. You were one seat above me. Uh, God darn it, you got on the committee before me. Um, but I think voters are, are very forgiving. I think when you make a mistake... Um, and, and you admit it and you try to remedy it, there's a forgiveness there uh, with, with voters as long as you're trying to do the right thing. But I look at the American voter today and they look at Joe Biden, Kamala Harris and Democrats and notice they're not trying to help them at all. They're not trying to help their family with lower gas prices. They're not trying to bring down inflation in the grocery store. They're actually saying, you know what? We don't have a plan because actually high gas prices and inflation with massive spending that drove us that inflation is the plan. That's the plan. We want you to be yeah. poor. We want you to pay more for your fuel. And I don't think any voters are going to forgive them. And maybe that's why Joe Biden's at 38 percent approval in national polling. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Look, this is this is a simple fact. We all make mistakes in our personal life. We make mistakes in our business lives. Uh, we uh, we we if we seek contrition and we seek forgiveness, people tend to be pretty forgiving. And I think if this administration said, you know, yeah, we were trying to drive some policy here, but we're not willing to move this far this fast and put the the American people through this much suffering. So we are going to uh, open up the pipelines, whether it's Keystone or others. We are going to allow those those, uh, drilling leases to occur on federal lands. We are going to actually get back to production here in the United States, yet we still want to you know, figure out a way how to move in that same direction, maybe not as dramatically. I think the American people would go, okay, yeah, we get it. Thank you for uh, thank you for admitting that maybe this is a little too far, a little too fast. But their base won't let them. The radical AOC left will not let them. And, uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren and others are, are in control of their their party right now. It's not the voters, and they're going to dictate that policy. You know, I find that fascinating, though, Bill. I think you're right. But, uh, but it's uh, uh, the independent voters in America and the left-leaning voters that make the coalition that elect Democrats, and the AOC Bernie Sanders wing is a really small sliver. It's growing. Sadly, it's growing, but it's still a small sliver. Um, You and I are both categorized by the left as probably environmental terrorists because the two of us have a lot of kids. Um, You and I do. Now, you're you're an underachiever. You don't have as many as me. But I do think it's harder for bigger families to navigate this inflation. And, you know, I might go, hey, I want to buy a Prius. I want to buy a vehicle that gives me better gas mileage. I can't fit my kids in that kind of vehicle. I have to have a Suburban or a minivan that gets worse mileage. This is an attack really on big families, too, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I, I used to only half jokingly say as soon as they uh, build a Prius that can seat seven uh, and the dog in the back, 
I'm all in. Right. Uh, but they they don't and they can't. And and guess what, Sean? That that is affecting uh, the real world pocketbook for these. Think of it, whether it's a single mom or whether it's a, a family that's on the margins who had fifty dollars a week budgeted Bill, for, their, uh, for their gas. I got to cut you off because I got to run. I have a heartbreak coming up. But you know what? You are a great American. I love Michigan, not as much as Wisconsin. Beautiful beaches. We'll be right back with Fox Across America. It's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Welcome back to Fox Across America. Sean Duffy in for Jimmy Fallon. The the sails are up. The wind is blowing. We're into the third hour of Fox Across America. Jimmy Fallon would be so proud, so happy as he probably kicks back and has some suntan lotion on and is gearing up for his 4th of July weekend. Uh, we got the keys to the car. So uh, as we've been talking about today, we have... Last week, the Supreme Court decision that overturned Roe v. Wade. Now, liberals in the last week have lost their minds that the Supreme Court would overturn a 50-year-old decision that gave a constitutional right to abortion where there was no constitutional right. And they've worked overtime to mislead the American people that, that this decision is going to eradicate abortion rights in America forever. The lie is that that's actually not what the court did. The court just said there's not a constitutional right to abortion. And if there's not a constitutional right, as deemed by the Supreme Court, because, by the way, abortion is not mentioned in the Constitution, the issue goes back to the voters in your state. And so you get a debate. You get to argue. And democracy works Because you get to vote on what kind of abortion you do or don't want in your state. If you have a value or a moral that says we can kill babies until the moment of their birth, or if you're Northam, the old governor of Virginia, after birth, okay. But maybe you're a state that says, you know what, I believe in life at conception. And therefore, we're going to pass laws in our state that meet our values and our morals. And by the way, all the states that are promoting and pushing pro-life legislation, they don't penalize, they don't criminalize the mother. They criminalize and penalize the abortion provider. That's what this is about. But these are the lies that are being told by the left on this issue. I think it's important to, to look at how the left has now responded to say we have to deal with the Supreme Court. We have to deal with abortion rights. Let's go to Joe, uh, Joe Biden. Cut one. I believe we have to codify Roe v. Wade in the law. And the way to do that is to make sure the Congress votes to do that. And if the filibuster gets in the way, it's like voting rights. It should be we provide an exception for this. The except the require an exception to the filibuster for this action to deal with the Supreme Court decision. All right. So uh, Joe Biden says we do want democracy to work, not in the states. We want the federal government, the Congress, to pass abortion rights legislation and he'll sign the bill and therefore we'll have abortion rights granted throughout the country. Pro-life states be darned. Right. The problem with Joe Biden's thinking on the filibuster. Let's go. Let's let's go to that. So right now, the, the rules, the way it works in the House, it's a majority body. So majority rules. Uh, that's the way the House works. That's why Democrats in the in in the House of Representatives can pass any bill they want. But in the Senate, we have long standing precedents 
where we have the filibuster rule, where you need 60 votes to pass a bill. And because Democrats only have 50 votes, Republicans only have 50 votes, and therefore Kamala Harris is the deciding vote, which allows Democrats to have the majority, they don't have 60 votes to pass pro-abortion legislation in the Senate. And so Joe Biden comes in and says, well, we need to, we need to get rid of the filibuster rule. And just let's, let's dive into that for a second. The, the way you get rid of the filibuster rule is the majority gets to make the rules of every Congress. So the Senate gets to decide what rules by which they'll play. There's not a filibuster rule in the Constitution. The Senate actually agrees to have the filibuster rule, and the majority has agreed to have it. And the majority, the Democrats, can agree to take it away. So they can actually take the filibuster rule away if they so choose. The problem is twofold. Number one, Democrats are going to get absolutely shellacked in November's election because as we all go to this Fourth of July weekend, we're looking at the cost of food in the grocery store, gas prices, crime on the streets, open borders, supply chain issues. Uh, we, we don't have baby formula. There's a myriad of issues that we focus on that make us think, hey, Democrats' policies and promises really haven't borne fruit. Everything Democrats have done has made America worse, made us less poor. So I'm going to vote for a Republican this November. The one saving grace that Democrats think they will have is if abortion is a driving issue for suburban women. If suburban women agree that abortion is the number one issue and come out and vote Democrat, they think they can stop the bleeding this November. Well, if they get rid of the filibuster rule and give America abortion rights uh, to the to the point of birth of a baby, that issue goes away. And American gets back to thinking about gas prices, food prices, crime, right? So they need this issue if they are going to win in November. Now, just a little side note on that. If you look at the polling, most Americans don't care uh, about abortion like they do about gas prices, inflation, crime, open borders. I mean, baby formula. Those issues are all the top issues when you poll Americans. Uh, a lower level issue is the abortion issue, but it doesn't rate like the economic issue. So Democrats are wrong in thinking that they can save the election on abortion. Again, the economy is what matters. And the economy is what I think voters are going to focus on as they go to the ballot box. So they're going to lose either way on this issue. Uh, but if they do get rid of the filibuster rule, I think we should go down memory lane for a moment. If you recall, uh, the Senate, uh, under under Barack Obama's term, decided that it would be smart if they got rid of, in part, the filibuster rule for federal judges. So all federal nominees from Barack Obama under Harry Reid in the Senate could be approved with a simple majority, but they reserved the Supreme Court for the filibuster rule. So they did that. They pushed all of their liberal justices um, onto the bench that Barack Obama nominated. Well, then... Republicans won the Senate and Donald Trump was elected to Congress and Republicans said, OK, well, we're going to complete this process. We're going to get rid of the filibuster for all judicial nominees, in, in, including the Supreme Court, which then allowed Republicans to put three strict constructionist jurists on the Supreme Court that voted to overturn Roe v. Wade. So getting rid of the filibuster didn't really work that well. For Democrats, they would have been better off actually uh, sticking with the traditional filibuster rule without an exemption for uh, any federal ju uh, judges. But because they moved, 
Republicans moved as well and gave you a more conservative court. Um, If you're also a Democrat, think about this. If you're looking at the elections in November, again, Republicans are going to win the House by a significant majority. Now, the pollsters will say it could be they could win it by 15 to 25 seats. Kevin McCarthy, I've heard he's a leader of the Republicans in the Senate. He said, you know, Republicans could win it by 35 seats. Uh, I'm on the record saying Republicans are going to win this, uh, the House majority, by 40 to 45 seats. I think you're going to see seats that no one thought were in play. Republicans are going to win because that's how bad this is for Democrats. As I mentioned earlier in the show, Myra Flores, a Republican in South Texas in a seat that hasn't been won in over 100 years by a Republican. She won as a Republican. That's what kind of cycle this is. This is like 2010, the cycle that I won in. Um, It is going to be uh, catastrophic for Democrats. But then we move to the Senate where it really matters. And Democrats, this is a pretty favorable map for them. As I mentioned earlier in the show, only a, a third of the Senate is up every uh, every two years. So the third of the Senate that's up this November is not that favorable to Republicans. But you do have seats that are going to be open uh, and up for election. Democrat in Georgia, Democrat in Arizona, traditionally right-leaning, Republican-leaning states, Nevada, Um, is a state that Republicans think they can pick up. Washington uh, has been talked about as a sleeper race that Republicans can pick up. So the odds day by day continue to go up that Republicans are going to win back the Senate. And if they do, and Democrats get rid of the filibuster rule, and a Republican actually wins in 2024, Democrats beware, because they will reap what they sow, And you're going to see Republicans do a lot of conservative things that liberals don't like. And so I guess this is just a warning. Keep the rules in place, Democrats. Don't get rid of the filibuster rule. Let the let the states decide this abortion issue. Let the voters decide in every state. Don't blow up longstanding precedents in the Senate to push your abortion agenda. Let people decide in the states. And you can have different decisions in different states. That's okay, But. I'm a Republican or at least conservative leaning former member of Congress who was a Republican. I don't think Democrats are taking my advice, but they should. We'll be right back. Fox Across America. A show so good, it's frightening. I got scared. I dropped my hot pocket. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Fox Across America. Sean Duffy filling in for Jimmy Fela. I just bet he's on a beach somewhere. His feet are up. He's got his tanning oil on, glistening in the sun. And I get to sail the ship here. So, uh, listen, I, I want to talk about Joe Biden's lies, how Joe Biden has been so dishonest with the American people and expects that just because the liberal mainstream media will cover for him, that we're actually going to believe him. So let's first talk inflation. I, I just want to, and, and again, we're all feeling it. We all know what's happening. We're all paying more for everything. But on Wednesday, the, the personal consumption expenditures number came out. It was uh, up by 0.3%, shows an average of year over year 4.7%. Now, that was 
a little bit down from expectations. But this number is important. This is not uh, the consumer price index. This is the the personal consumption expenditure. There are two different numbers. And the personal consumption expenditure, the number I'm referencing, this excludes food and energy. And every day of our lives, we're seeing the food and energy costs spike. This number doesn't include it. So the actual number of inflation that we feel in our pocketbooks is pushing 9%. And the reason is we have people who are paid to stay home. And a lot of people, listen, they've liked it. They haven't wanted to go back to work. And so we do have some supply chain issues. But the real driver is the fact that Joe Biden decided that he was going to spend $1.9 trillion on a COVID relief package when the money from the Trump era COVID relief package wasn't even spent. And when Joe Biden passed this bill with Democrats in the Congress at the start of 2021, the pandemic was waning. We saw the pandemic end in the not too distant future, but still they spent $1.9 trillion. And then on top of that, and they had some Republicans join them on this, Democrats spent $1.2 trillion on infrastructure. And as we drive on roads and, you know, go across bridges and go through airports, we're like, you know what? America could use an infrastructure facelift, which I agree with that. The problem with infrastructure, though, is when Democrats say they're spending money on infrastructure, the money doesn't get spent on infrastructure. I believe the number now, I'm going off the top of my head, about 8% of that infrastructure money actually goes to infrastructure. The rest of it is going to go to liberal pet projects, green agenda projects that will do nothing for your roads or bridges or your airports. And so you had Joe Biden spend too much money. There's too much money in the economy. Too much money chasing too few goods gives you inflation. But Joe Biden, remember, along with Democrats uh, and media members, were saying inflation, this is last summer, inflation, it's transitory, meaning this is just going to be short term. It's not going to be long, a long-term problem for the American economy. And now we have inflation, the highest that we've had in 40 years. Joe Biden has been lying to us. He won't admit that he spent too much money. He won't admit that his policies have been destroying this economy. And the American family is the one who is made to bear the brunt of the liberal radical agenda and the failed policy. So not just inflation. We played in the last hour that Joe Biden's saying and Kamala Harris is saying they're doing everything they can to lower your gas prices. It's a huge issue. Gas prices are too high. Well, all Joe Biden has done is blame Russia, Russia, Russia. But actual acts that Joe Biden has taken to lower the price you pay at the pump are twofold. Number one, he's released oil from the strategic oil reserve. That's a strategic oil reserve that we have for an emergency. And so it's not pumping more oil. This is a, a, a short-term release of oil that, frankly, did nothing to move the price down of oil and gas in the country. Did nothing. And the second plan for Joe Biden is, you know, he says he's not going to do this, but I guarantee you he will. He's going to make a trip to Saudi Arabia, and he's going to ask the Saudis to pump more oil. He's thought about and talked about maybe going to Venezuela, the communists in Venezuela. Have them pump more oil. He's thought about going to Iran and asking Iran, hey, can you pump more oil? Can we get rid of the sanctions on Venezuela and Iran so we can get their oil? Because Joe Biden thinks 
that Saudi oil, Venezuelan oil, Iranian oil is better than Texas oil, better than North Dakota fracking. Joe Biden isn't doing anything to lower the price that you pay at the pump. Everything he's doing is actually increasing the price. He's absolutely lying to you about what he's doing. And finally, in regard to border security, Donald Trump gave you a border wall. He gave you Remain in Mexico. And in response to the pandemic, Title 42, Joe Biden has done everything he can to roll back the Trump policies that were stemming the flow of migrants to the southern border because Joe Biden wants an open border. Now, he's come to you and said, listen, the border is secure. There's not a crisis at the southern border. But if you watch Fox News' Griff Jenkins or Bill Malusian from the southern border, there are thousands of people coming across the border every single day. We saw with a semi-trailer full of migrants, 53 of them died of suffocation and heat in that trailer. People are dying. We know about the rape and the abuse, the human trafficking, the drug flow into our country that comes from the southern border. But the court, as we mentioned earlier, just overturned Remain in Mexico. But Joe Biden wasn't following that anyway. When people would come into the country, instead of sending them back to Mexico, he was paroling them, releasing them into the country, not following the law because Joe Biden, per the law, is supposed to do a case-by-case analysis of every single migrant he releases into the country and has to make an assessment that it's in the best interest of our country to release them. There's no way Joe Biden and Border Patrol took a look at 207,000 migrants at the very time, they have thousands of people coming across the border every single day. So for Joe Biden to tell you that he is trying to secure the border is an absolute, fundamental, bull-faced, flat-out lie. It's not true. Everything this administration has done has been to make the border open and more migrants come in. He's lied to you on, fl- on inflation. He's lied to you on gas prices. And he's lied to you on border security. And Joe Biden and Democrats, because of those lies, are going to pay the ultimate price this November because Americans are, uh, are forgiving, but they want honesty. All right. Joe Biden's a liar. This is Fox Across America. We'll be right back. That's Jimmy Fallon. Sean Duffy here for Jimmy Fallon, Fox Across America. Welcome back to our last 25 minutes of the show. Sean Duffy sailing the ship. But I want to bring in our next guest, a uh, member of Congress from the great state of Montana, Matt Rosendale. Uh, He's on the uh, House Veterans Affairs Committee, also a a member of the Natural Resource Committee, which, by the way, if you're from Montana, I suppose you have to be on that committee. Matt, welcome to Fox Across America. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on today, Sean. Yeah, natural resources are big out here. We uh, are, are identified as the treasure state. You are the treasure state? I didn't know that. What, what, what's the, what's the yep. treasure of Montana beside the views? Uh, our children, number ah, one. That's and the right. courts reinforced it this week, my friend. You know what? You know, they, they did, and they said, you know what? Uh, we're going to let people decide for themselves what the morals and values of their state are. 
Uh, not sure how Montana will go, um, you know, but I think if you put a vote to Wisconsin, where I'm from, I think the voters would say, you know what, we side on life, not on late-term partial birth abortion. But, Matt, I want to ask you, because I think I served in the House, uh, as you know, from 2011 until the end of 2019. And I think no one understands the pulse of where Americans are at than members of Congress, because more so than senators, more so than a a mayor or an assemblyman in a state, members of Congress uh, travel wide swaths, you a whole state of land, and talk to people, whether it's at church or at diners and restaurants, at Walmart, at fairs and festivals and parades in Wisconsin. We do dairy breakfast, uh, which wrapped up yesterday because June is dairy month in Wisconsin. But what are people talking to you about in Montana? What is animating people in Montana that you're hearing? $5 a gallon gas, $5.50 a gallon diesel fuel. Everybody here, Sean, as you said, it's a big state, 147,000 square miles. That is the size of my district. Everything from Canada to Wyoming to North Dakota to Idaho. And guess what? It is not uncommon to drive 100 to 150 miles a day for these folks out here. And when you're paying that much for gasoline, um, it it is hurting the families. And, you know, we don't have long enough extension cords to, to use EV cars. It's just, it isn't going to work. We uh, typically have a lot of 10 below and 20 below temperatures in the wintertime. Uh, these great distances, we rely upon gasoline and diesel-powered vehicles not only to get to our jobs, not only to visit with our families, but everything is freight in and freight out of Montana. So it also increases the cost of every single product on the store shelf. You know, Matt, you bring up an interesting point because in a state like Montana, which is pretty rural, I'm sure you don't have Tesla charging stations every, you know, 150 miles like you might have on the East Coast. So you can't charge your EV, number one. And Montana and Wisconsin are similar. It's really cold and batteries don't do so well in cold weather. So to your point, EVs don't don't work well. And I think, you know, a lot of folks that live in more more urban areas, they don't travel as far, but my district, I had a third of the state in Wisconsin, it's rural and people drive a long way, whether they're going to the doctor or to the grocery store, there's a lot of travel and probably like Montana and Wisconsin too, people drive pickup trucks. It's kind of a lifestyle and a way of life. It's for work. It's, 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 uh, it, 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 it's, it works for a family in, in a rural area and pickup trucks don't get 45 miles to the gallon, it seems like these high energy prices have even a greater impact on more rural communities, which also don't oftentimes have as much money as urban communities. That is spot on. I mean, it's crushing these families. It's crushing these households. And you talk about the charging stations. No, they're not out here. And I've met with a lot of the electric co-ops. We don't have the the massive um, corporate power companies out here. There's one, but most of the electricity is provided through these smaller co-ops. So they are member-owned co-ops, and they'll have anywhere from 15,000 to 75,000 people on them. And in meeting with the co-ops, the electric co-ops, they don't have the capacity even to um, to have people install the charging stations in their homes. They said the co-ops were set up uh, when houses were having like a 60-amp 
electric service put in, which if you look at a, a regular electric panel where your fuse box is, just so everybody understands, that's typically now about a 200-amp service. They used to be 60-amp services, so about half of that size. And now with all of the additional um, smart features within homes and electronics that are being placed in them, it's not un uncommon to see two 200-amp electric service put in there. And they said if, if people started putting the electric charging systems for EV cars into their houses, the uh, the grid, each of these smaller subgrids, they don't have the capacity to provide the electricity to the homes. And again, you don't have to look that hard, Matt, to, to go, listen, of course it's not going to work. Of course it's not no. going to work in a, in a big state like Montana, a rural state like Montana, that EVs should be effective. Again, you, you might say it, it could work in, you know, the, the East Coast in New York and New Jersey and Maryland, uh, Massachusetts. Yeah, that, that might make sense. But also people don't have 60 grand to buy a new car. They don't have 60 grand to buy an EV. They might go, listen, I, I, I want to get a car that gets lower gas mileage or higher gas mileage. You know, I might spend, you know, $25,000 for a, for a vehicle that's getting me 40 miles to the gallon, but they don't have $60,000, $62,000 to buy an EV. I, 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 Matt, I have a big family. I have um, a lot of kids, and so I, I spend a lot, of, a lot of money at the grocery store. And when I would go to Walmart, I shop, I'm a Walmart shopper, um, I would, you know, I try to get all my stuff into one cart. Sometimes I would need two, but I was a great packer of my stuff into one cart. And I would typically <laughs> spend, you know, Five hundred dollars, five fifty on groceries when I went to Walmart, which is a lot of money. I go to right. Walmart now, and I'm lucky if I get out of there with, I mean, five hundred dollars and a half a cart. The cost of food for the average family, and I say this time and time again, it's not up twelve percent. The cost of food no. is up way more than that. And again, that's that's making people poor. People's salaries aren't rising at the same rate that inflation is taking their hard-earned dollar away from them. Are you are you in the are you hearing the same thing in Montana? Absolutely. This is inflation is a tax on everyone. It doesn't matter how uh, you want to try and describe it. If you're a political pundit and coming out of the Biden administration, this is a tax on everyone. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, Sean, I'm very concerned going into this fall. Uh, once we've got the agricultural community go through this planting season, this growing season, we've already seen that the the uh, farming community has altered their growing. They really have. They're putting different crops in the ground. They have cut back on the crops that they're actually planting because the fertilizer and fuel prices have increased so dramatically. We're talking about two, three hundred percent, and that wow. they have had to. They've been forced to alter their their growing. And so, once harvest takes place, and we start looking at this fall, and then you have to deliver those products to the market. I am concerned about the inflation getting worse because this administration is not taking any steps right now in order to curb the energy prices and the inflation that is taking place across the country, which means that it's going to continue to increase until those steps are taken. On the Natural Resources Committee, we introduced – the Republicans introduced eight pieces of legislation Okay, to – um, increase our crude oil production domestically. Crude oil domestic uh, production is down by about 2 million barrels a day. 
It was at 13 million barrels a day when Biden took office. We're down to about 11 million barrels a day. Go figure. Supply and demand actually does work, and, and so it has driven up the cost. And so we introduced bills to force the leasing of federal lands, to force the permitting of pipelines, to force the permitting of the actual drilling, to force the expansion of the capacity of our refiners. And, and of course, under the Pelosi um, rule in the House, we cannot even get a hearing on those bills. Meanwhile, we spend a lot of time in the House Natural Resources Committee debating a bill about who can own a tiger and who can't. Unbelievable. It's crazy. Well, I, Matt, I tell you what, I, I think in January you are going to get a vote on that bill because you are going to control the House <laughs> because the American voters are going to uh, let their dis- – well not, plus- no, well, not me specifically, Sean, right. but, the committee. but I'll be playing part of it. <laughs> I get it. The committee, the committee. The committee is going to get the chance to bring these bills up and have a vote. Uh, Republicans win the Senate. They may be able to get that through because Democrats may join them if the filibuster is not gone. And Joe Biden's going to be really uncomfortable being forced with bills on his desk that he says no to that could actually reduce the price of energy at the pump. If he says no, again, uh, he's only up two years from then, and I think he'll be hard-pressed to say no. You mentioned food, though. You mentioned you know what, what, what decision farmers are making, ranchers are making in your state because the price of fuel has gone up, the price of fertilizer has gone up, so they have to make certain choices. I was talking to some food experts because of the choices that American farmers are making, but also that Ukraine and, and, and Russia are breadbaskets themselves. And because of the war there and, and, and Russia unwilling to let some product come out, you're going to see a food shortage around the world because of Russia and Ukraine. There is truth to that, but also because of high energy prices in America. And it could be devastating for more devastating even for the American family at the grocery store, but also places like uh, uh, like Africa, uh, where they yep. don't have enough food production and they're reliant on places like America and Ukraine and Russia to sell them food. hundred uh, percent accurate. We continue to say that these types of policies, whether it's energy, food, uh, even water, okay, they impact those at the lower end of the income scale the most. And it doesn't matter whether we're talking about communities across the United States or communities around the world. When, when those prices get out of line, out of kilter uh, to that extent, and when, when uh, food sources are out of kilter, those at the lowest end of the income scale are impacted the, the most. And, and it's, it's a very sorry state, I, I, again. And I just don't see policies and decisions being made today that are going to change that trajectory. You have to see where you're going to start cha- changing the trajectory, right? And, and we're just not seeing anything happen now that's going to change it. So up until the time those decisions are made and those policies are implemented, we're not going to see a change in the trajectory. Well, you're right. Have a little vision. See over the horizon a little bit. Joe Biden and the administration should have seen, hey, we're going to have a problem with baby formula. We're shutting oh, down man. a massive plant that produces, what, 40% of baby formula in America, we're probably going to have some shortages. We should think about that and how we're going to plan to address the need of mothers to feed their babies because there's not going to be enough formula because we shut a plant down. 
Same thing here. Exactly. Shouldn't the administration go, hey, you know what? We got a problem in Ukraine and in Russia, and we're going to have a problem with American farmers making decisions that are best for them economically. But the consequence of that could be significant for the American consumer and the global consumer. I think what you're going to see is they're not thinking about that at all. Obviously, you are on the committee, but they're not. And again, when when food shortages come, they're going to blame Russia. They're going to blame the war in Ukraine, and they're going to throw their hands up and say, "There's nothing we could have done, and there's nothing we can do." And then nobody could have anticipated this. Right. Yeah, that's a, that'll be the thing. No one could have anticipated this. Look, uh, two years ago, before I was sworn into office, I saw that the Biden. Uh, administration was going to take over, obviously, after the elections. And I immediately told my staffers, the team that I was putting together, I said, look, there's certain things that we're going to focus on, and we're not going to be like a, a dog chasing every school bus that goes up the street. But one of the main priorities that we're going to have is going to be this immigration issue. And so this goes along the same lines when they say, who could have anticipated this? Well, I saw it. I said, they're going to open our border up. They're going to take every single one of the Trump administration policies, and they're going to unravel them. And so when Secretary Mayorkas was confirmed by the Senate, and he stood there as the border started surging almost immediately, and he said, we have a plan, we have a plan, I came out and very publicly – and very vocally said, yeah, he's got a plan, and he's implementing it. It is to open that border up. And now we are up to 220, 230 encounters at the southern border every single month. We've got families and lives that are being ruined because they end up having such a financial obligation with the cartel, and we see the human trafficking. We see the fentanyl problems. There was 105,000 people, Sean, that died in our country last year from drug overdoses. The vast majority of that was from fentanyl. It came from the southern border. Montana is not protected and isolated from that, okay? It's not just the major cities. We have an 1,100 – I spoke with my state attorney general this week. Austin Knutson, we have an 1,100% increase in incidence of fentanyl overdoses, and he will tell you that that is coming directly from the Mexico border and that it takes 48 hours for it to clear the border before it is, has arrived here in Montana. Mm. So, Matt, again, the border is affecting every single state. Uh, you hear this from folks on the southern border that every state is a border state. You're absolutely right. I know several parents who lost their children uh, from drug overdoses. And again, I don't think they were trying to do fentanyl, but you're seeing, you're seeing fentanyl you know, even laced into marijuana and other drugs, and it's killing folks. Um, and, and Joe Biden doesn't seem to care. I only have one minute left. Give me your take on how... Uh, things are in the Congress with Democrats. Is it collegial or is there like a lot of tension right now? <laughs> uh, you've got you've got some split groups over there. OK, I've got uh, several Democrats that I serve with on the Veterans Affairs Committee that have come to the uh, recognition that the Republicans are going to be carrying the gavels as of January. And so they're trying to um, work much better with us today. That they, they really are. You still have a group of the hardcore 
ultra-progressive uh, Democrats that, that are pushing their agenda, and they have that anger in their face. Me personally, John, I like everybody. It's yeah. all about policy to me. It's all about policy, and I can disagree with you on policy. And personally, I can I can still get along with folks. And I think that that is that is if we had more people that took that approach, we can have knockdown, drag out policy debates about how wrong they are and how right the Republicans are. And it's not theater anymore. We've seen it play out. We can actually show it in action. Um, and and let's have that debate. We'll win that debate all day. You know, Matt, you, you don't take time away from your family. You don't travel from Montana, which is beautiful, to Washington, D.C., to just go fight with people. You go there to get something done. You're absolutely right. Thanks for joining me, Matt Rosendale, from the great state of Montana. Have a happy Fourth of July. Celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. We'll be right back with Fox Across America. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. I want to thank everyone for joining me on Fox Across America. I want to thank Jimmy Fela for letting me sit in for him and steer this ship. I want to wish you all a happy 4th of July. Put your red, white, and blue on. Have some hot dogs, brats, beer, and uh, whatever food you love. Celebrate with family. Faith, freedom, that's what this is about. Have a great 4th. Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.